Alright, welcome to episode 20. I'll cut to the chase and be real honest. I'm kind of in a weird headspace right now. Um, got some weird medical news earlier this week. It's not necessarily good nor bad, but the next six weeks or so are going to be an interesting time in my life uh, before I get kind of more clarification on that. So, um... No, I don't know. I kind of have a fire lit under my ass to kind of really focus on some things that are high priority. And while I am very grateful for everybody who has been listening to this podcast, the truth is I don't really get a ton of listens. I'm going to still keep doing it. Um, but maybe not with the same sort of intensity and energy. There's some things. i got to get this rock opera done some other creative projects that I have gone. And so just kind of while I am in this sort of limbo of over the next six weeks, I'm going to really focus on, on those. Because if the news is bad, it'll be really bad. If it's good news, then sorry folks, you're going to be stuck with me for a while. But anyway, I figured this one, I'm um, just sharing my general uh, cancer diagnosis story so you guys can kind of know a, little, a bit more about me and just how messed up brain cancer is. But anyway, here it goes. I'm going to keep, like I said, I'm going to keep posting episodes, just maybe not putting a lot of work and energy into them. Welcome to the Random Redux Review Podcast. But anyway, um, so my cancer story begins, not really sure, just because of what I know now about it. And that's one thing that you'll learn um, if you've been diagnosed with cancer is that there are really not very many clear answers for a lot of things. It's frustrating. You can kind of, if you get used to anything, it's probably the confusion factor, although it remains very sort of aggravating, I think, even years in. I'm, I'm close to five years now, so. Anyway, um, <clears throat> uh, I would say that I first started noticing any sort of issues in terms of brain cancer, uh, probably somewhere in my 30s. I was very physically active, but my balance was never really very good, like even riding a bike like I might just randomly just fall over or whatever sort of it and not really be sure why not hitting like a bump or anything like that just really bad balance I did some martial arts and grappling stuff too and I was a very easy sort of target for takedowns and things like that but anyway um so I, I kind of I just thought maybe well, I'm just a bad athlete I've always been kind of sort of a nerdy guy and um Maybe that was just it, and I'm just not physically capable. But anyways, as I got a little bit older into my late 30s, like going to an amusement park or going for a long car trip, I just noticed that I was very prone to motion sickness. Uh, and it seemed like it was more than... There wasn't really a good explanation for it. Um, I kind of... Uh, watching a TV show, I think it was Modern Family, I remember one of the characters, I think it was the Al Bundy character, or whatever his name is, um, was talking about how uh, as you get older, fluid builds up in your ear canals and things like that, and it impacts your balance. So I thought maybe it was something like that, but um, as I would later learn, it was much more than that. Um, 
but it was, it was like really bad motion sickness. It was like, you know, if I go on a roller coaster, I'm done for the rest of the day. Like I remember going to this one amusement park in the Virginia area and riding on one uh, roller coaster and being done for the rest of the day. And we had gotten there like in the morning. So figured like 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, get on a ride and the rest of the day, I'm just kind of miserable. So anyway, I knew something was kind of up. So at that point I started going to I started going to doctors and um, and just sort of figuring things out, learned a lot of things like um, getting blood tests and things like that. Learned that actually, despite being a vegetarian, my protein levels were too high in my body and so I needed to adjust my diet for that. Um, other things over the, over the course of the next five years, yes, five years, um, actually, probably more than that if you really um, figure it out, but five diligent years, I'll say. Um, I learned things like potentially like I had, I now live in the state of Tennessee and apparently I'm allergic to everything in the state of Tennessee, I'm just allergic to the state. So um, they did allergy tests to me. So they thought maybe that was it and why, cause I was starting to get like just dizzy spells, vertigo, I guess, attacks and things like that. And so, um, they thought maybe that was it. I was a very sort of active guy. At this point, I kind of left martial arts and moved into triathloning, doing that. Just It was just easier having two young children. Um, also just being a very active and busy working professional. Anyway, um, so I started doing triathloning, running and biking and swimming in my free time, just lunch hours at work. I would go to the gym and, and, and do things. And um, it was just easier, but anyway, um, because I was also so busy, they thought maybe I suffered from like Mariah Carey, something like exhaustion, just too tired, too much going on, too much stress in my life. Um, um, I had some suspicions that it might be something more serious than that because it just didn't feel right. I was getting pretty decent sleep. I mean, I wasn't like sleeping full eight, nine hours every single night, but I was sleeping seven, eight hours and it was pretty, and it was pretty decent sleep. So, you know, I wasn't too worried about it. Um, I wasn't too concerned with that being the issue. Anyway, um, I just figured, you know, being a working professional, my wife also had, my wife also has pretty good insurance figured, you know, insurance just covers it all. And um, as I would learn in the years ahead, now even the best insurance is still kind of crappy. Um, the, uh, and they also, and also I'd say that insurance has a lot more say over your health than you think it does. Um, uh, the insurance companies are kind of known for rejecting treatments and things like that, but that's something for a whole other video. But anyway, um, so anyway, I figured having good insurance and going to doctors, they would just do all the tests and it would be covered and all of that. And um, I asked about getting an MRI at one point and a doctor told me like, well, um, we, we prefer to save that for further down the line once we've ruled out a few things. And so I kind of let it, let it, um, let it go. Um, I did have a bunch of other tests. I went to an ear, nose, and throat guy who kind of, who thought maybe I had a pinched nerve, acoustic neuroma, 
was um, thought about at some point. Also, this thing called vestibular migraines was considered. Um, all of it kind of made sense, but not really. I went on. I went on some allergy medications. I actually went on clonopin, um, which is sort of an older treatment for things like um, vertigo attacks and things like that. But really, I mean, the way I read it now, anyways, like there's a doctor saying, like, yeah, you're just anxious and nervous. Um, and so that was the uh, treatment. And none of those things, none of those things really seemed to help me much. Um, I looked into getting, I pushed, I pushed the idea of an MRI further um, and was told that insurance would not cover it. Kind of surprised by that. Um, I, I would later learn that it's actually the state that I live in, Tennessee, and this is certain states uh, where insurance companies actually have much more power um, in sort of declining treatments and things like that. I mean, it's a problem in, in most states, but certain states are worse than others. So for all of you worried about death panels and insurance companies, don't worry, they already exist. Something to feel good about. Um, anyway, um, I was moderately happy at my job at the time, but I was very busy uh, and all that. And so I was looking for other options. Also, wasn't really a big, huge fan of living here in Tennessee. I think Tennessee is fine, but Given my druthers, there's a lot of other places. So anyway, I was looking at employment in other other states. I was spending a lot of time in Atlanta for my work. Um, and so I was looking at jobs there, I actually interviewed for a job. And while I was there in Atlanta, I went ahead and made uh, an appointment with a neurologist there. And I guess just the differences in the state laws, she was like, um, bringing up MRI almost immediately. And I was like, well, isn't that more of a later in the line? She's like, no, uh, here we prefer to rule out sort of the big things early if we can. And so that was what, that was how it was handled. And I was set up for an MRI uh, a week later when actually when I would be returning to Atlanta on another work trip and also a job interview. Anyway, um, I went for the job interview and after the, the job interview, I went to go get the MRI at a, a, a private MRI center. Um, I wasn't talking to them, I later on that I could have probably gotten an MRI in Tennessee, but I would have had to pay for it out of, out of pocket. That was never mentioned to me. Um, I had no idea how much MRIs are. They're not inexpensive at all, but I was making a good living and I was kind of concerned about this problem, so. Who knows? I more than likely would have been willing to fork out the fifteen hundred twelve or the fifteen hundred two thousand dollars it costs to pay for an MRI out of pocket on the brain. Anyway, uh, at the, that MRI appointment, I went in and got the scan. Um, probably do another uh, video at some point about what just like getting an MRI is like. Um, but uh, they asked me just to stay in the lobby for a while before I, I left to. Before I would leave to drive home. So I sat down in the lobby. I was working on my laptop on some work and uh, somebody came up to me and said, they asked me for my car keys. And I was like, that's weird. Why do you need my car keys? And they're like, because you're going to be going to the hospital. Um, we don't feel it's safe for you to be driving right now. There's something odd in your 
on your scan and we need some doctors to look at it. And so we want to send you to the hospital just to check out what's going on. You may or may not be staying there, but you do need to go to the hospital and we need to hold on to your keys. Somebody can pick them up from us later once we kind of figure out what's going on. So anyway, I took uh, either a Lyft or an Uber, I can't remember, and um, carted over to nearby hospitals, uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in Atlanta, part of the Emory uh, medical system. I was waiting to see a doctor actually um, was working on my laptop in the waiting room. I noticed I got an email from the job I interviewed with and they actually were offering me the job. It was a pretty nice job. Um, but then before I could really respond to accept the offer, uh, some medical people came in and over the next couple hours I would learn that there's a strange growth slash lesion in my brain and they needed to do surgery pretty soon on it. So needless to say, I did not respond to that email um, for a couple of days. Um, over the next day or so, that part is kind of a blur. I sort of remember what happened, but not really. Um, they explained that this lesion, they thought maybe I had MS, maybe it was a benign tumor of some sort or something like that. Um, they said that they needed to go in and check it out and do what's called a biopsy and, and figure things out a little bit more. Um, me, I've been, I wouldn't say I'm trusting of doctors, but I'm a more scientific minded guy. So I didn't really question any of this. I didn't even ask if not having some sort of surgery on my brain, which in retrospect sounds pretty heavy, um, was even an option. Could I have waited? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know because that moment in time has passed. But um, it's definitely uh, it was definitely an interesting moment. It didn't hit me emotionally at the time. I know some people are hit really, really hard when they hear that you're going to be having some sort of serious surgery um, and there might be something potentially wrong with you. But for me, I was just sort of more like, oh, well, doctors, they know what they're doing, all that. Anyway, um, also, too, I need to remind you that no one had said anything about about cancer at this point because um, I, I don't think that anybody really thought necessarily that it was cancer. I was, I wouldn't say a young guy, but I was an old guy, 46 at the, the, the time, in pretty good health for my age, phys very physically active, doing triathlons, actually training for a half Ironman at the time. So I was in pretty decent shape. Anyway, um, uh, opted to do the surgery, um, told my wife, uh, texted her and, and phoned her. She came down a couple days later, actually, because that's a whole other thing. I'll talk about having kids and marriage and all that in the early phases of, of treatment and, and so forth, which is, is definitely something to be aware of because it's sort of stuff that people don't really tell you about. But anyway, um had a biopsy. Apparently while I was in surgery, um, there was some sort of issue. Like they noticed that, that it was probably not MS and it was not some sort of uh, benign tumor. And it was probably something more serious when they looked at it. 
Um, and so there were some conversations with the insurance company and apparently my head was left open for seven or eight hours where typically a biopsy might last like anywhere from three to five hours. So I don't know, do they have anything to do with how I am physically now or not? I don't know, but that's the sort of thing that does happen uh, when insurance companies are involved. Anyway, um, I did come out of the surgery um, fine, relatively fine, I'll say, say I was definitely out of it. Um, and I'll get into what having uh, craniotomy is like in another video, but over the course of the next few days, I slowly got sort of more alert and focused and with it. Um, definitely not an easy process, but I think there's a part of me that's always been sort of like, uh, I've had a strong will to live, I'll put it that way. I don't really like terms like fighter and survivor and things like that because I think that they're not really fully accurate, but you know, to each their own. Anyway, um, I wound up getting discharged from the hospital after I think it was two or, I got discharged from the hospital either two or three days after. I knew that it was slightly ahead of schedule of when it is because I was doing so well. Um, I seemed to be managing well. So I got sent home, which I'll remind you is in another state. Uh, I live probably about three hours away from Atlanta. So my wife had picked me up from surgery. I foolishly thought that, um, I was now at the point where I would look back and laugh in about a month or two once I was fully recovered from surgery and think that I was all over. Little did I know that this was very much still just the beginning. It was not even my last brain surgery. Um, anyway, um, my wife picked me up from the hospital. We drove home, spent the next couple of weeks in bed, um, just really tired and out of it. And like I said, I'll get into a video about what having a craniotomy is like and what recovering from it is like just because it's a whole other thing. Anyway, um, I felt like I was doing well, but I guess I wasn't. My wife was concerned about some, some things, just didn't seem, I was getting better, but only to a point and it seemed to be taking longer than they, what they thought. Did that have anything to do with my head being open for so long on the operating table? I don't know, who knows? Not an expert in these things. Anyway, um, for whatever reason, uh, my wife called 911. I got taken to the emergency room. They did some more tests, uh, gave me an MRI, uh, did some things. Apparently those people who visited me over the next couple of days thought that I was a goner. Something was definitely not right. They felt like maybe there was an infection in my brain or something like that. Um, I got an influx of local friends and visitors kind of coming in. I thought it was really nice at the time, but little did I know my wife had been telling them that there was a chance that I might not make it. And so the, that's kind of weird looking back on things that happen to you with a different perspective once you are quote unquote healthier or you can kind of under, fully understand what's going on and happening to you. But anyway, um, uh, I took a very long ambulance trip back to, did I say ambulance? Yeah, I did. Anyway, a very long ambulance trip to back to Atlanta, back to St. Joseph Hospital, Atlanta. I do not recommend taking a three hour um, trip in an ambulance because it is not comfortable. 
once I arrived at the hospital, they said my blood pressure was ridiculously high and they were concerned about all things, a lot of different things at the time. Anyway, I was scheduled for a second surgery for a resection the next day. Um, and also just to kind of deal with some other issues having to do with infection and inflammation and things like that. I've been put on a lot of drugs. Um, anyone who goes through a, a lot of different cancers take this drug, but brain cancer, it's especially common. Brain tumors, it's common. Dexamethasone, it's a steroid. Very good at reducing swelling and things like that, but it also kind of makes you a little crazy in ways. And I say that, I say that, I mean, it really messes with your emotions a lot. But anyway, um, you become very emotional, like very angry, very sad, very joyful, very everything. Anyway, um, so I was prepped for surgery the next morning. My wife was there, also another friend of ours who lived in Virginia at the time came down and spent time with us as sort of moral support for my wife and also for me because as a friend who was all, I was also very close to and still am close to. Anyway, the um, apparently I was, I mean, I was in relatively good spirits the night before, but apparently it was also behavior that wasn't quite like myself, not bad behavior, just different because having a tumor and having surgery will alter your personality, um, if not permanently, at least uh, temporarily as you're going through the quote unquote shit. Anyway, um, the second surgery was much shorter. It was in that three to five hour range. Um, by this point, they ruled out the idea that it was potentially MS um, completely. And they were like, it's definitely a glioma. We don't know what kind or anything like that um no, i was like glioma what's that and they're like oh that's a brain tumor potentially cancer that was the first time i heard the word cancer so um um yeah so um who knows that's just how it works you don't always get answers right away or anything like that um but anyway um despite it having been a couple of weeks the initial tissue that was removed from my skull uh, in the biopsy still wasn't, they weren't done testing it or anything like that, so they weren't sure. But during the surgery, they sort of determined that, yeah, it was definitely, it was very likely not MS. It was probably some sort of glioma. Um, and I asked what a glioma is, and they said, well, to put it as plainly as possible, cancer could be benign could be malignant we don't know but it's tissue that's more akin to cancer than not so anyway that freaked me out a little bit but um recovery took a little bit longer i spent some time in the icu eventually got uh released into a regular room i didn't get any a whole lot of visitors while I was there, of course, I was also in Atlanta, uh, which is not where I lived at the time. Did get a nice fruit basket from my work, uh, uh, which I have a picture of still. Um, I did get visited by a couple people that I knew in Atlanta, but you know, it was pretty low key and probably for the best, to be honest, I didn't really feel great. Um, 
I didn't really, I couldn't see well. I was kind of dizzy all the time, even laying down. Anyway, I would stay in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Um, interesting story. Um, I was actually ready to be discharged and sent home, but I couldn't be because there was somebody at the insurance company who had decided to take a day off, which is totally understandable. You know, pe people who work jobs have kids, have other things going on in their lives, and occasionally you need to take a day off from work, and that's totally acceptable. The only problem is that the way the system is set up is that this was the only person who could sign literally a checkbox on a form to say that it was okay to discharge me from the hospital. So I wound up staying in the hospital an extra day because that's the sort of thing that you deal with. Not a big deal now in retrospect, but at the time I was just really antsy to get home, see my kids, um, get this whole brain tumor thing over with me. Anyway, I went home. This time I seemed to be faring much better. I was on a much higher dosage of dexamethasone and some other things. I just changed up a few things. A few weeks later, I would see um, a couple different oncologists, cancer doctors. One was specializing in radiation oncology. The other was a general oncologist. Um, I would learn that not so much with radiation oncology, but with um, seeing an oncologist to oversee your sort of treatment beyond sort of radiation, things like that. I would highly recommend seeing some sort of specialist with brain cancer. It's a neuro-oncologist. Um, if, uh, if you can't go to a hospital that specializes in whatever your issue is, in my case, brain cancer, so brain tumor center, um, whether like breast cancer or prostate cancer, all that, there usually are facilities that specialize in just that. So if you can't go to one of those, I would strongly suggest at least working with a doctor who specializes in the area of whatever your issue is. And if they don't, that they um, at least consult with um, other doctors such that do. Like I've, I've had some friends that where they live in rural areas and things like that. And so they're oncologist actually speaks to a larger facility you know a couple hours away and they have like tumor boards and they sort of discuss potential treatment issues and just sort of help the general oncologist sort of navigate storm and in some cases even the specialized oncologist um they just want to talk to somebody who is uh, a number of people who are more knowledgeable in that area but anyway um I would get the first official uh, diagnosis, which would be astrocytoma grade two. Um, it wouldn't stay that for long, but it's a whole other story. Um, uh, and that this was gonna be the course of action. I would get uh, radiation. I think it was something like 45 sessions or something like that. It was 30 to 45 sessions, six weeks basically of radiation every day, getting weekends off, yay. And then after that, I would be put on the standard of care, that great term standard of care, um, which I have come to sort of really raise an eyebrow to, um, which is the standard of care is what every brain tumor patient, a brain cancer patient it goes through, which is chemotherapy of um, a drug called tamalazide. I know it's Temidar, same thing really. Um, but anyway, um, 
and so I was like, oh, this is all sounds like these people know what they're doing. They're on top of it. Everything's great. A few months from now, I'm going to be all better, be done with this crap and look back and laugh at that time I had brain cancer. But anyway, they explained what it was that I, that I had and what my course of treatment was. And um, that was that. So I kind of got, got ready for that. My mother came and stayed with me and my wife and our kids for the period that I was in radiation just because she was going to be driving me. Because that's another thing that happens is a lot of times brain tumor and brain cancer patients uh, are told not to drive just because there's seizure risk. I've never had a seizure, but it's fairly common when you're dealing with brain tumors. So wouldn't be good to have a seizure while you're driving. And in my case, I have a lot of sort of like stimulation issues where like sound and light and movement tends to distract me very easily. So just another reason to not be driving. That would not be good for me to get highly confused in the middle of traffic. I live in Knoxville, not a very huge city, but um, big enough, you know, 200 to 300,000 people. If you're figuring as sort of aggressively as possible, maybe it's 300, 350,000 people. But um, anyway, um, so the weeks ahead, um, went through uh, chemo and radiation. I'll do the, I'll explain that in another video. Uh, once I was done with all of that a few months later and my first follow-up MRI, a lot of times they wait a little bit longer because they, you know, there's things going on in the brain that um, they don't want to like have a misread of the MRI and what's going on in your brain as material and necrosis and dead cancer cells and all of that sort of leave the brain and move around the weeks following chemo and radiation. Um, I feel like I skipped something, but anyway, yeah, so that's another thing. Long-term, I have some, some memory issues, not, I wouldn't say they're horrific, but they're not great either. But anyway, um, so I was put, I was given radiation, told that I was going to be going on Temidar, um, and Temidar, it was one week a month for, I think, six months initially. Um, and that's a whole other thing that I'll do a video on, just Temidar and the fun of that, but um, anyway, um, first real scan, it was probably three, four months after I finished my first round of Temidar, and a few months after I finished radiation, and uh, the scan was not good. I had said earlier about how there can be extra dead tissue and things like that in the brain that can kind of confuse a reading, but mine was not good at all. They knew it was more than just that. Um, and they saw significant regrowth. There's more to that. I would later have uh, genomic testing done through the facility that I would later go to um, and learn reasons why, what was going on. Actually, the next couple scans were not good. There was growth. So at that point, I was upgraded to GBM. Even though I didn't, usually they do like another surgery or biopsy to determine if somebody has gone up a grade or not. But they were like, yeah, this shouldn't be happening if you're grade two, you must have already advanced to grade four, which is a thing that happens. Uh, grade two will turn into, the, grade four, it happens. Grade three will turn into grade four, it happens. But anyway, I would also, um, 
So um, everything on my uh, healthcare records would then say GBM, glioblastoma, which is the nastiest of the brain cancers. And so I think this is the point when it kind of started to hit me the seriousness of the, the seriousness of this all. Because uh, even though I wasn't really totally sure what all the different types of brain cancer were, I'd heard GBM just from, you know, learning of folks like, uh, I'd heard of GBM just because there was, at the time, some fairly prominent politicians had died in the years before of you. My grandmother actually died of GBM in the 90s. Um, at one point, actually, you looked to see if that sort of thing was hereditary. It's not really, it's kind of inconclusive, but most evidence points to it not, most evidence points to it not being a hereditary thing, just bad luck. But anyway, um, so yeah, the heaviness of the situation started to hit me. Um, I started thinking that like, oh, maybe I won't be looking back and laughing at the time I had brain cancer. I knew that this was gonna be a lot heavier. Um, the oncologist that I was seeing, who was a general oncologist, the time remember earlier I said I did not recommend just seeing a general oncologist for brain tumor and brain cancer stuff she actually gave me a timeline of when I would be dead and she said that I would be very lucky to be still be alive in a year um, and start to get my affairs in order so anyway at that time uh, my wife and I opted to start looking at other sort of cancer uh, treatment centers we would wind up um, I, I am now seen by Duke and I've been going there for the last three, four years. And I'm glad to say that I have not died within that year. Um, I like to think it has to do with the treatment that I've gotten at a brain specific treatment center, but who knows, maybe I still would have been alive anyway. Um, we would, uh, I'd actually get a second and third and fourth opinions from other, other facilities. A lot of them uh, looked at the same tumor tissues um, and oddly, even though they all sort of use the same sort of guidelines from WHO, World Health Organization, um, we got different answers. They all said I was either a two or maybe even a three. Um, so just to show you that, that even going where you go might impact what it is. Anyway, when I'm going to Duke, um, they labeled me as a grade two uh, diffuse astrocytoma is a term which I believe doesn't even exist anymore because things have changed just in the last few years with World Health Organization uh, guidelines. They just call astrocytoma grade two. Same thing with, uh, they don't call it grade three anaplastic astrocytoma, they just call it astrocytoma grade three. And even GBM is broken into astrocytoma grade four and glioblastoma. Glioblastoma is recognized as a completely different um, anyway, that's a whole other thing, and again, another video, because this one's already fairly long. But anyway, what Duke did reveal is that while most uh, biopsy, most biopsied tissue is generally a mix of different grades and things going on from different uh, cancer types and tumor types, mine was especially a jumbled mess. So. Um, even though I was predominantly grade two, there was a lot of things that pointed to me um, not being a true grade two. 
you could say that I was either an aggressive grade two or a grade two dash three, which is fairly common. I, I know of other facilities that will use that term where it's kind of confusing what you are, um, but it happens. Um, they would actually send my tumor tissue out to a facility called Caris, C-A-R-I-S, I believe in Arizona. They would actually label me grade three, um, but they also revealed that there are certain other things going on beyond sort of the classification, some, some markers going on in my tumor tissue that um, pointed to me not dealing well with standard of care, uh, Temidar specifically. It was actually not a recommended treatment for me because for whatever reason, it made my what was left of my tumor angry. Um, I will also just say that um, in this, re this second craniotomy, the resection, they weren't able to remove everything. They removed probably about a third of what was in my cerebellum. I also had a uh, tissue in my brain. So they don't touch that just because it's too dangerous, it impacts breathing, heart rate, some sort of auto instinctual stuff that goes on in your body. So they don't touch that ever really. There might be some surgeons who do, but it's not very common. <laughs> but anyway, the, uh, Karis came back with results that showed that uh, they felt I was more a true grade three, um, then known as anaplastic astrocytoma, uh, not just astrocytoma grade two. Uh, there are certain markers that indicate that I should not be given standard of care which explains probably why I had some regrowth and things like that after my initial sort of chemo and radiation. Uh, Temidar, I was um, taken off of that immediately and switched over to a different uh, drug called Avastin. Um, they listed four or five different things that I could do for talking to my neuro-oncologist. We sort of decided Avastin was the best course of action. They would start working with a, um, they'd work with my then general oncologist to um, sort of sort things out and handle treatments. I didn't need to drive to five hours to Duke every single, every single time I needed an infusion, which was every month or every uh, two to three weeks, I should say. Um, and that worked out for a while. Um, my general oncologist really didn't like working with Duke and kind of questioned them and thought this was all a big waste of time. So we would eventually, my wife and I decided to switch to a different cancer center that was a little bit more friendly to working with this, working with Duke. Um, Duke had actually worked with them uh, other pa patients before. So it's the one thing that's kind of nice about working with a more specific uh, medical facility is that they've just seen the stuff before. My original oncologist had seen maybe one or two brain cancer patients in her career and she was probably about 20 years in at that point. Whereas, you know, a typical neuro-oncologist at a, a specific center will see dozens of, of brain tumor patients every single week. So it's just a different skill set, different level. Um, even the most brilliant general oncologist just doesn't have as much information. But anyway, um, we wound up switching to a facility which um, 
uh, Duke had worked with in the area uh, a few times in the past, and that worked out pretty well. They administered my infusions. Originally, I was every two weeks, then three weeks, um, and so forth. But um, the rest is something for another video. But uh, I would definitely say the there's a lot more that goes into understanding what it's like getting diagnosed, but I'm gonna save that for other videos that you will find. And while you're on this particular channel, I definitely advise, sort of, um, I recommend uh, browsing around, seeing, you'll see that I get into a lot of sort of more of the sort of emotional and psychological issues and try to present them as creatively as possible. Um, I talk to some other patients of all kinds. Um, you'll see some recurring thing, themes in the videos, but anyway, Thanks for watching this and I don't think future videos will be quite as long, but this is, there's a lot that goes into getting your diagnosis.